Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Preparations are underway for newly elected lawmakers and the governor to take office in January. Governor-elect Tim Walz will be working with a divided state legislature with the DFL in control of the House and Republicans holding a one-seat majority in the Senate. The big test for all of these leaders will be trying to reach compromise on key issues. Leah McClain interviewed Walls along with House Speaker-designate Melissa Hortman and Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka in their first joint appearance since the election. Have you, the three of you been together in the same space yet? Not yet. We have not. We don't have to be like Washington. We can all work together here. What is your goal to see that accomplished? Well, I think it's the communication, and I have to uh, thank both these leaders with uh, Speaker-elect Hortman and, and uh, Leader Gazelka. Uh, calls have already been made very early on. Uh, the majority leader, the senator, has already offered up suggestions, which we welcome uh, to be informed on how we work together. I thought it was encouraging when uh, Tim Walz, governor-elect, said that uh, you know, he wanted to try to work together, build bridges. Melissa Hortman and I have met and talked about how do we try to make that work, and, and I'm optimistic. I actually think uh, there's a number of things that we can work on. If we can get them done early, I say let, let's get them done early. No uh, one side will get everything they want. And I think there will be ways where Senator Gazelka gets a win and Governor Walls and I get a win, but we get something done for Minnesota. What is maybe one top priority you'd like to see accomplished this session? The tax conformity that we did not get done. Um, the Minnesota Revenue made some adjustments to make it not quite as bad, but frankly, we need to get that one done. Uh, and certainly, we have to start working on the budget early and often. Paul is right. Those are issues that we share and his concerns with them. Um, and focusing on those issues that were reflected in the last election, that they want us to get our work done. They want us to invest in Minnesotans, in their education, in their health care, in their infrastructure. Well, improving the affordability and accessibility of health care for Minnesotans. So I think addressing health care right away will be high on our agenda. Well, thank you all for taking time to sit and chat. Thanks for bringing us together. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Speaker-elect, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Meanwhile, the new governor's One Minnesota Transition Advisory Board met for the first time this week. The board includes government, business, and organization leaders. It's being led by Lieutenant Governor-elect Peggy Flanagan. We said consistently that we believe that people who are directly affected by uh, policy should have a seat at the table. And uh, we would like to think that this Transition Advisory Board um, is literally uh, people being at the table. Walls and Flanagan also launched a statewide listening tour this week. It will take them to 24 communities around the state. A state-funded recount will start this week in a northern Minnesota House district. Republican incumbent Matt Bliss requested the recount Tuesday in House District 5A. That covers the Bemidji area. According to the current vote totals, Democratic challenger John Purcell leads Bliss by just eight votes. Because it falls within a 0.5% margin, the recount will be paid for by the state. You can expect a discussion on the legalizing sports betting to be a big topic at the state capitol in the coming year. This comes after the U.S. Supreme Court ruling last spring that struck down a federal law which allowed sports gambling primarily only in the state of Nevada. Since then, several other states have legalized sports betting. Right now, sports gambling is not legal in Minnesota, but it will likely be among the next states to consider it. Republican State Representative Pat Garofalo plans to author a bill that would legalize sports betting in Minnesota. He predicts revenue from that could grow to $5 billion a year in the state. It will be benefits to all Minnesotans, and it would allow the opportunity for our professional sports teams to, to be involved if they chose to. 
Earlier this week, Major League Baseball signed an agreement to make MGM Resorts its official sports gambling partner, similar to deals with the NBA, WNBA, and the NHL. It's not a yes, but it's not quite a no either. Senator Amy Klobuchar says she is considering a run for president in 2020. Right now, I am just still um, thinking about this, talking to people. I'm sorry to say I have no announcement for you on your show. <laughs> That was Klobuchar on ABC's This Week, last week. She easily won a third U.S. Senate term in November. Klobuchar has been consistently named as a potential Democratic candidate, among other lawmakers like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and former Vice President Joe Biden. Norm Coleman took his fight for Minnesotans to Washington when he served as a U.S. Senator from 2003 to 2009. But now he's facing a second battle, this time against cancer. Coleman was first diagnosed in 2015, and just when he thought his cancer was gone, it is back. But so is his optimism. This still reminds me that I'm a lawyer. Norm Coleman is the first to admit he's had a wonderful life. This is uh, uh, up in the White House. From rubbing elbows with world leaders as a U.S. senator to negotiating a deal as mayor of St. Paul to bring NHL hockey back to Minnesota. Minnesota is the state of hockey. Uh, it's really important. He's also blessed with an unbreakable optimism. Fourth stage metastatic cancer in the lung is typically a death sentence. And I think I'm going to beat this. I don't think this is going to kill me. I, something else is going to get to me, but I don't think it's going to be this. That doesn't mean he doesn't have setbacks. Like the day last summer, he was on his way to the Mayo Clinic for what he was certain was going to be a positive checkup for neck and throat cancer he'd been battling for three years. And on the way down, I stopped and looked at a boat. I, would, I want to get myself a new boat. I was, and I told the guy, I said, well, I'm just going down to get inside. And I, I was convinced it was going to be good news. I said, I'll call you back, but, but I really like this boat. And uh, I go and I find out that I got cancer's returned. I obviously canceled the order for the boat. I wasn't thinking long term. Or it might have just been fiscal conservatism because he's still convinced He'll beat cancer. In the world. A sense of humor helps. But God gives us what we can handle. Sometimes you say, God, maybe because someone else can handle some of it. But so does being thankful. I am much more grateful for the, for the, for the blessing that I have to be here and to be with family and to be with friends. We hope that your viewers, you know, really take the time to put things in perspective. Things you think are the worst thing in the world, not the worst thing in the world. Coleman is more than halfway through his radiation and chemotherapy treatments. He's feeling good and still splitting time between his home in St. Paul and offices for a law firm he works for in Minneapolis and Washington, D.C. My conversation with Norm Coleman continues after the break. We'll look back at the historic U.S. Senate recount 10 years later. And later in the show, former Minnesota Viking and Supreme Court Justice Alan Page joins us in studio with his brand new Presidential Medal of Freedom what this honor means to him and the work he's done in the community. This year marks 10 years since the closest U.S. Senate race in Minnesota history. The race between Norm Coleman and Al Franken led to a recount and a long, drawn-out legal battle. In my recent interview with Coleman, he had some interesting thoughts on that historic battle. On election night 2008, Republican Norm Coleman was convinced he'd won a second term in the U.S. Senate by a very narrow margin. He gave a victory speech the next day. Humbled and grateful for the victory that the voters gave us last night. 
Do you still believe you won that race? I do. I do. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do believe. Do I believe that, that there were more votes for Coleman than there were Franken? I, I do. But just after making his victory speech, the AP uncalled the race for Coleman, as it became clear his 725-vote lead over Democrat Al Franken was within state guidelines for a mandatory recount. In November, when the machines are certified, okay, I win the count on the votes that were counted that night. Unfortunately for Coleman, a hand recount of all the ballots and a legal battle over absentee ballots changed everything. By January 5th, the state canvassing board certified Franken was now up by 225 votes. Coleman blames uneven county-by-county county standards for accepting or rejecting absentee ballots that tipped the race in the Democrats' favor. In other words, if the same standard applied, would we have won? I think we would have, yeah. But as he now battles cancer 10 years later, don't mistake any of this for bitterness. I don't reach this point with any big regrets. Coleman accepted a Minnesota Supreme Court ruling in June 2009. I wasn't going to be standing in the way of Al Franken serving. And to this day, he still savors a momentary victory. God gave me the gift of going to sleep in 2008, 10 years ago, thinking I had won, celebrating with my family. Life is good. The Minnesota Supreme Court ruled the varying standards of accepting or rejecting absentee ballots did not deprive Coleman of equal protection under the law. He lost by 312 votes. Al Franken went on to win re-election in 2014 by a 200,000-vote margin, but he resigned after allegations of sexual misconduct earlier this year. There is a fascinating history behind that particular U.S. Senate seat. Joining me today, Ember Reichgott Young and Brian McClung. Thank you both for being here. Yeah. Uh, Brian, have we ever fixed the varying standards for absentee ballots since then? No, we haven't. I think it's something the legislature should look at, but keep in mind that even though we have statewide elections, elections really are handled at the county level. And so that's what you saw. That vote count changed in the absentee ballot process because different counties had different standards for whether or not they were accepting those absentee ballots. So under the law, the way that it was written at the time, that's, that was the outcome. But it is really a county-by-county county system that we have, and I think we should consider maybe standard that. So if you have an election that close, we don't have that again. And the Supreme Court even suggested that in its ruling, acknowledging that there are these issues uh, county by county and that they should fix it. And that might well be a good idea for the legislature to take a look at. But I also want to say that the, that particular recount was held up all over the country as being a very strong recount done with integrity and fairness that people could agree with. And under the law at the time, Al Franken was declared the legitimate winner of that race. So, but interesting, uh, Norm Coleman is entitled to have an opinion uh, that is contrary to what the legal right. battle said. But I think also he very too. gracious. Yeah. And, <laughs> Brian and, also uh, thinks he won. Yeah, so there's, yeah, right. there's two votes for that. But I also want to say how gracious he is in that interview as well. Yes, we he wish is. him well. And the most fascinating thing was he had that momentary victory mm -hmm. where he went to bed that yeah. night thinking he had won. Yeah. And that's what you all fight for when you're in these campaigns. You guys have both been through them. Uh, let's talk about what is uh, happening at the legislature. You saw Leah McLean's interview uh, with the governor and legislative leaders and uh, all shaking hands and, and smiles. You just know where this is headed. You've been in the state legislature. Uh, the kumbaya moments will be fleeting. Well, yes and no. I think there really will be a cultural change this year at the legislature, and I'm hoping that is for the better. Um, you have not only new leadership, but you have, like, 
45 new members of the House of Representatives, that can change the culture. Many of them are women, new women in the legislature. That will change things. A new governor, a new lieutenant governor who's very committed to this. So I also think that Speaker Hortman has said that they want to do those budget bills separately, not all one big bill, which gave rise to a number of those issues last time. But Brian, uh, we've seen big turnovers before and we've seen it go right back to the same old pattern. Do you see that there is hope for change? Well, there are some things that they need to get done and that helps. That tax conformity needs to get done early and so having some early pressure on the legislature to accomplish some things I think is a good thing and it really is there's that relationship component and you could see in that interview and you've seen around the Capitol more broadly that I think Senate Majority Leader Gazelka and Speaker Designate Hortman and Governor-elect Walls have had a good working mm -hmm. relationship and I think they are approaching this with that mindset of let's get those things we have to get done done and then let's see if that can lead to a path on some other issues where we can find agreement. Maybe the issue that will be really telling is on the gas tax increase that Republicans in the Senate are going to be against mm -hmm. albeit with a one vote majority. Well, first of all, relationships are important. That's just critical, having been there in the leadership. But I will say on the gas tax, you know, the thing about Tim Walz is he campaigned on it. He was elected with more votes than any other candidate in state history. So I think that is going to play in his favor. And ultimately, all we need is one vote in the Senate. Of course, nearly every poll ever done has shown that there is widespread opposition to that, so we'll see uh, which side wins out there. Uh, it is going to be interesting. There's going to be some other contentious issues, uh, social issues, uh, sports betting and legalizing mm -hmm. recreational marijuana. Just 30 seconds left. What are the chances for those two issues? Well, I think sports betting stands a chance within the next five years. I don't know if it's going to happen immediately, but many states are going to go in that direction after the U.S. Supreme Court ruling, and half dozen have already done that. Uh, same thing with marijuana. I don't think that's something that's going to happen right away, but I I think we see many states headed in that direction. I would bet on marijuana being first and sports betting uh, being much later. I don't think we want to get into the sports betting thing. I certainly hope not. Of course, she's betting on it. Right, right. Exactly. So she's already started the legalized <laughs> sports bet betting that. right here on At Issue. Uh, Ember and Brian, thanks for being here. Up next, we'll be joined by the newest Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, Minnesota's Alan Page. What receiving the nation's highest honor for civilians means to the former Vikings player and state Supreme Court Justice. It is the single highest honor an American civilian can receive. Last month, former Minnesota Viking and state Supreme Court Justice Alan Page was honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The White House recognized Page for his years of athletic, legal, and philanthropic accomplishments. Justice Alan Page joins us in studio today, and we couldn't be Happier to have him here. We've been on the program before to talk about some of your great work, but boy, what an honor this was. And let's show people at home, before we go any further, the actual Medal of Freedom. And this has got to be something you're very proud of. Well, I'm, I'm proud of it because it reflects the values that I believe in. It reflects the work that Diane and I have done over the years to try to ensure justice to try to um, ensure educational opportunity, to talk about why it's important to tell the truth. Um, and it's a high honor because it reflects those things, but also the people whose shoulders that I stand on that have allowed me to have the successes that I've had. And can you describe that moment when the President of the United States put that medal around your neck? Well, for me, it was a 
bittersweet moment because um, Diane wasn't there to share it, but um, it was a culmination of, as I say, a reflection of all those things that we've we've worked so hard to accomplish. And of course, that is your late wife, Diane, you're referring to, who was side by side, shoulder to shoulder with you Absolutely. in all of this work. Every step of the way. And it had to be, as you said, bittersweet to know that she couldn't be there to share this with you. And she didn't even know this was coming. No, did she, she didn't. No, and she would have she would have loved to have been a part of it. And I'm guessing she was a part she of it. She was um, my biggest supporter. Yeah, uh, no question about it. And, and you were her biggest supporter uh, through her battle with uh, breast cancer. Now, when you were there at the White House, there were several other uh, recipients that uh, had to be uh, fascinating uh, for you to be standing alongside. Uh, but at the same time, you're in the, the Trump White House where uh, you've had some differences with the president over uh, some of his racial policies. Uh, was it easy for you to set that aside for this particular ceremony? Well, it was easy in the sense that it was important for me uh, to have the, those values that I talked about represented in the White House. And so once I figured that, because in the end, this is about me to some degree, but it's really about those values, and it's really about uh, the people who have allowed me to get there. And so from that standpoint, it was pretty easy. And I imagine you also figured the honor comes from the office of the president, well, not from necessarily an individual person. It is, it is the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I suspect 50 years from now when somebody is looking in whatever the 50 year from now Wikipedia is, <laughs> they will, looking up the Presidential Medal of Freedom, they won't note one way or the other who the president was for any of the recipients. Now, you're not one who seeks a lot of attention or honors. You're a very low-key and, and humble man, but this had to feel so good that you were uh, honored largely for things you did after your NFL career, which is where most people came to know you initially, but it was the thousands of scholarships you've provided to well, we, students of color. Well, the Page Education Foundation has had over 7,000 uh, Page scholars over the last 30 years, and the, the best part of that is that each one of those scholars serves young children trying to uh, show them how education can be used as a tool to achieve whatever their hopes and dreams are so that um, whatever work I've done, they increase that work exponentially. I mean, they're the real heroes here. And within the last week or two, you got this medal out and you brought it to Page Middle School. What well, was that moment like the, for you? The, the, the very first thing I did, I got back in town on Sunday after the ceremony. And Monday morning uh, at 9.30, the medal was at Page, Justice Page Middle School to share it with those students there. That, in the end, that's what this is all about these young people. They're the future. They're our hopes and dreams for tomorrow. And to the extent that this medal can inspire them to be more than what they might, they thought they might otherwise be, 
it, uh, it doesn't get any better. And what is it like when you meet some of these recipients? They've been getting these scholarships for 30 years. When you meet them when they're adults and you find out what they've accomplished, partially with your help, what, what does that mean to you? Well, it means that what Diane and I did was successful. Uh, and we run into them everywhere. Uh, they're all over the state. They're all over the country. They're doctors. They're lawyers. They're receptionists. They're uh, every walk of life. And they're, they're great additions to our community. And we're just lucky enough to have been a part of their, their lives. And finally, just for about 30 seconds, we've got to talk about some football. One of the recipients of the Medal of Freedom was also Roger Staubach. Yes. Uh, as we take a look at some highlights from your career, uh, you were known as a pretty fierce competitor on the football field, as we see here, uh, number 88. And I think here eventually we're going to see you uh, sacking Chris. Roger Staubach. Is he still a little afraid when he runs into you at events like this? No, he wasn't, he wasn't too worried about me. <laughs> not, in, not in the White House. There you are right now taking him down. I also got to tell you, you're still kind of a big deal on Twitter. One of my favorite sites is Super 70 Sports, and they said they're guessing Bart Starr still has nightmares uh, about you about <laughs> twice a week, and then that picture. Uh, that is a great pose. Do you remember that game? <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, there were so many of them and so many events like that. It's hard to keep track of them. And you understand, though, why they're terrorized oh, by yes. you. Oh, yes. <laughs> That was part of, part of your charm on the football field, no question about it. Uh, congratulations once again, uh, Justice Alan Page, a Medal of Freedom recipient, the uh, highest honor this nation bestows on a civilian. Congratulations to you Thank for you. all of your great work you've done here in the state of Minnesota. A new home for Minnesota's Ice Castle attraction when we come back. Workers put the finishing touches on hoses and lighting that will eventually bring the Excelsior Ice Castles to life. The water started flowing Friday morning at Excelsior Commons Park and will soon turn into the glowing ice structures that draw thousands of people each year. A ice winter wonderland that people can wander through and explore, um, go through tunnels and slides. It takes millions of gallons of water to pull it off. The Excelsior Lake Minnetonka Chamber of Commerce expects more than 100,000 visitors from late December through February. The ice castles were previously built in still water, but that site was not available this year because of ongoing construction in downtown Stillwater. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the At Issue page at KSTP.com. That's all the time we have for now. See you again next week for another edition of At Issue.